Good morning, church family. If you can find your way to your seats. And as you're doing that, I just want to extend my welcome to my, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Community Church. And if you're here with us, thank you for being here. It's good to, it's good to be with you all. And uh, if you're watching us online, thank you for joining us. Uh, we've been in a series um, called Abide, Experiencing God in Everyday Life. And I think that's our longing. I think our longing is to not just know information about God, but to experience God in very practical, personal ways. And we've already had uh, extended time this morning already as God has been ministering his grace to, to many who are in trials right now, who are suffering, who are experiencing the challenges of their lives and difficult circumstances. And, and uh, isn't it good that we have a God who knows us? Isn't it, isn't it kind of God to, to send his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so we can know his comfort, so we can be reminded of his words, so that we can know what direction to go and what to do when we get into those difficult situations. So what a kindness of God that we have a living God who's everywhere, present, and especially manifests his presence to us in situations of our need like that. And so this morning I want to talk about uh, one other aspect of experiencing God. And, um, and the, the title of our message this morning is The Cost of Living. And what I mean by living is not your financial getting by, you know, kind of what does it cost for you to, to pay your bills, but what does it cost to really live? What does it cost to really experience the abundant life that was promised to each one of us as we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Because I think that's what we're longing for. We're longing for real life. And real life looks very challenging and very difficult at times, but Jesus said, I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. And so I want to read my text for this morning, if you'll look with me on the screen or if you have your Bibles with you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing love. Thank you that you pour out grace when we don't even deserve that, when we've done nothing to earn it. In fact, many times we've done the opposite of what you've asked us to do, and yet you still are merciful and kind and generous and gracious to us. But Lord, we want to please you in every respect. We want to live lives that really reflect a deepening love that shows that more and more you are the precious one to us. You are our treasure. You are the one that we long for. So open our hearts to receive your words. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. 
we want to look at what you say. We want to receive what you want to communicate to us today. Help me to to speak your truth. And Holy Spirit, would you move in this time as you speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Richard Haverson, uh, who was a chaplain of the U.S. Senate from 1981 to 1995, said this. He said, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through Scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God this way. He said, The kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Our big idea that we're going to be looking at today is this. Exchange living for riches to living for Christ to experience true life. Exchange living for riches to living for Christ if you want to experience true life. We're going to look at three questions in our time together, a who, what, and where questions. First one is, who is your master? What is your life's purpose? And where is true life found? So let's look first of all at who is your master. From our text today in verse 17, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So he starts off with a warning to the rich. But who are the rich? Who's rich? Well, according to sportofmoney.com, Americans dominate financially rich lists in every way. Americans are the, top, the tip top of the wealth pyramid. Eight out of 10 billionaires are American. 37% of the total wealth of the worth, uh, uh, the total net worth of the world's billionaires are all American. But what about the rest of us? The latest 2021 household income information said that the median household increased uh, amount of money, they increased from 1984, which at that time it was the, the median was $22,415. In 2021, the median household income was $70,841, $48,000 more than it had been in 1984. So comparing that, what does that look like? Well, that median income places a family in the top 4% of worldwide earners. That means 95% of the world is below our median. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, only with, difficult will, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, 
It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean? Does God not like rich people? Not let many of those people into heaven? The problem is that God doesn't love the rich people. The problem is that rich people don't love God. They simply have too much other things that they love. When we, if, if we're the rich, carry on a love affair with the world, we're committing spiritual adultery. And God doesn't like being the jilted husband. And God will not be half a husband. He's not comforted by the fact that we call him Savior, but do not follow him as Lord. Materialism represents the two things that God hates the most, idolatry and adultery. And so this is a warning to those who are rich from the Scriptures. And if we as God's people want to experience God, we need to be aware, whether we're blind to this or whether it's very obvious to us, that we are challenged by our riches in this life. So the first point is that the rich generally hope in money. Looking again at our section uh, from 1 Timothy 6, 17. For the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides everything for us to enjoy. So it says here, the temptation is for us is to be haughty to be proud, to be self-sufficient, to think that we've got everything covered, to not live by faith, and to set our hopes in our financial situations, in our finances, in our, in our culture, in our finances, in our, in our country, thinking that we're safe. But it says that there's an uncertainty that this false God provides. There's a way that we think we're safe, but we're actually put our faith and our hope in a different master. Who is that master? Well, we would know. All believers should hope in God. It says in the same verse, it says, For as for the rich of this age, charge them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You see, God is the one who's providing for you, even if it's through your job, even if it's through the fact that you have good health and a good health system. It's God who's providing for you. And it says that he's also providing everything that you need and everything you need to enjoy. So when we set up for ourselves other, another God, another desire, another longing, and we pursue that, we dishonor God, and we've actually made a foolish choice because that God is not a faithful God. That God is not a reliable God. That God is not a God that you want to put your hope and your confidence in. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't. Most of us have tried. <laughs> you know, it says you're going to love one of these and you're going to hate the other. You're going to hold to one or you're going to despise the other. But you cannot serve God and money. 
I might have two jobs, I might have three sisters, I might have five friends, but I can only have one spouse. Some relationships, by nature of what they are, you can only have one. And God says, you can't have him and love your possessions, love money, love the materialism of this world. So the question is for us, even as believers, who is your master? Who, who are you looking to? Who are you trusting in? Who are you confident in? Where do your thoughts go? Where do you get your joys from? Who is your master? And secondly, what is your life's purpose? In verse 18 of our, of our text, 1 Timothy 6, it says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So to the rich, he said, instead of pursuing your own thing, pursuing your riches, he says, I want you to do good, and I want you to do, be rich in good works. And so that would include our service, that would include our time, that would in, include our, our tears and our devotions to one another, our reaching out to our neighbors, our care for those people. We're to be rich in those things. And it says that we're to be generous and ready to share. Our perspective on handling money is a litmus test to our true character, an index of our spiritual life. It's our biography. How we spend our lives is our biography, and our finances are part of that. How we relate to money and possessions is the story of our lives. Let me remind you of the, of the biography of Zacchaeus, an unsaved, hated, outcast in his society, tax gatherer who was curious about Jesus and climbed up in a tree because he's a little short guy. And most of us know the story, but Jesus was coming by with the crowds and they wanted to spend time with him. And he noticed Zacchaeus up in that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down because I want to have a, a meal with you today. And so he took him aside and he went to his home and he had a meal. And after spending a, a lunchtime with Jesus, and they came out together after the, the leaders were complaining about it, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down from a stay at your house. So he, then later on he came, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And then after coming out from his home, it says, Jesus, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord after that conversation, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone in anything, I will restore it fourfold. And he said to him, Today salvation has come to your house. Think about that. After encountering Jesus, his love for Jesus contrasted with his love for his possessions. Can you imagine walking out of a, a lunchtime <laughs> with Jesus and saying, half of everything I have is now, I would give it to the poor. If I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times as much. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus linked money to salvation itself. Jesus judged the reality of this man's salvation not by his willingness or his eagerness to part with his, his, his willingness to part with his money, but his eagerness to part with his money for the glory of God and for the good of others. What is the purpose of your life? 
Is it aiming towards service of Jesus, of being generous for Jesus, of giving everything that you have to show a devotion to Jesus? Or would it tend to look a little bit more as a devotion to this world and this life and your comforts and your desires and the things of this world? What's your purpose as an individual? But you're not just an individual. You've been joined together with a family. The Bible says that we've been joined together as a body. The scriptures indicate that there's actually there's an army and there's a spiritual battle going on, and we're part of the army. And so we don't have just an individual purpose. We have a joint purpose together with God's people. So what is our purpose as a, as a church family? Well, this church in particular, Grace Community Church, in the 1990s, our mission was to radically transform our culture through lives and families that are consumed with a passion for God and His glory that results in a passion for the church and a passion for the lost. In the 2000s, we had a very similar message, but we, had a, we tweaked it a little bit and it says, our mission was to bring about an ever-increasing desire for God through the proclamation of the gospel, establishing people in the gospel, and helping them apply the gospel in their daily lives. That was our purpose. In the 2020s, we've tweaked it once again. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all peoples with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why God has left us here. Following Christ is not a comforting but meaningless buzzword, but an electrifying, life-changing, life uh, reality difference when we come into a relationship with him. But in following Christ, there's more blindness, rationalization, and unclear thinking about money than anything else. And we under, need to understand why that is. It's because it's a love that we're battling with. There's a longing for something else. There's a, a drifting away from our first love that goes on in all of us. We need to understand what money really is and to whom it belongs and how God views it and its potential for use in the two different kingdoms that we have. I've drawn quite a bit for this message, not only from the scriptures, but also from Randy Alcorn. He wrote a book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. I would suggest, you know, if, you, if you're interested in growing in your understanding of what God says about, about money, that you'd spend some time reading that. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says this. It says, Honor the Lord from your wealth, and from the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first, of your first fruits of all your produce. And as we would look through the scriptures, you know, as we would take time and look through the scriptures, you, you would see like there's a regular giving of, that represents uh, our first fruits. When I... When I when God blesses me with a job and I, get, and I work and I get money, there's a first fruit. So we would talk about the tithe, the first 10%. We would give that back to God. And in particular, we would give that 
Many of us would be giving that to our church. But the Lord continues to prosper us and bless us, and so there's a, there's a wealth that we have beyond that tithe, and, we're, and God says, you know, you have the, the opportunity to bless and give others from that as well. And that would be what we're talking about with these free will offerings. In particular, we've talked about this building campaign, Advancing the Mission. But there's giving to the poor, there's giving to relief of various situations, difficult situations. There's giving to many, many good deeds and needs around you. Sometimes, you know, when with this topic of finances come up, we think, oh no, not finances again, you know. <laughs> Do we have to hear about this again? And I know that as pastors, we have mixed thoughts about talking about these things. Mixed thoughts because we know nobody really wants to hear about these things. But for me, I know that this gives you an opportunity to grow in your passion for God and to leave the distraction, to leave the longings, to leave that which was, is competing for your heart and your life in, in, in following Jesus Christ. I know, that, I know that it's painful. I know it's difficult. But Jesus actually talked about, Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined. 15% of the things that Jesus talked about that's recorded in our scriptures is about money and possessions. That'd be like if you're talking with Jesus every day, one day a week Jesus would be talking to you about your money and possessions every week. You know, if you were to average that out. So why would he talk about that so much? It's because he longs for you. He longs for you. And he knows that he's a better God than money is. He knows that you would be much more satisfied if you had him, more of him, than more of this world. We think of the blessings as being the things that he makes. And they are good. Riches are not evil. Riches have great potential. And God has not called everybody to give up all their riches. He's not. But at their heart level, at the heart level, he says, that's mine. I'm going to entrust that to you as a steward. For a season of your life, for whatever you have, I'm going to entrust that to you, and that's mine, but you're to use it in a way that brings glory to me and reflects my heart, reflects my purposes. So since I've mentioned to you and we're mentioning this, the, the building campaign, I just want to just kind of revisit just for, for a bit. The pastors asked me if I would revisit this a little bit to show you why I would, why I would jump in on something like this building. <laughs> to give monies to. Why did we do this? Because as we've talked about in this, in this season of uh, experiencing, you know, abiding and getting to see what God's doing, there's, there's a process that we've been urging you to think about is where is God doing something? Where is he working? And how do we join him in that? And the, we know the reality is it's, we're going to come to a difficult moment. He's going to ask for something. He's going to challenge us. And there's going to be this crisis of faith. And we're going to debate whether or not we want to do that. So what helps in this is seeing, is God in this? Is God working in this? I can't tell you, I can't tell you the joy I still get every Sunday when I come to this building. Because I've lived out this story. 
And I now, you know, I remember the years where I walked the perimeter of a cornfield here for years as we were trying to purchase this and to get it paid off so we can begin another process of building something on this. And we walked the perimeter of a cornfield, a man who's now with the Lord with me, and we would pray every Saturday, and many times people came during the week. We prayed for you. We prayed for your kids to get saved. We prayed for all those people who have joined us and visited us over the years. We prayed for their marriages. We prayed for a place that people would see us on, on US 1, would go past this place, and they say, we should check that place out. We prayed for you, and we know that having this location gave us the opportunity to do much good for our church family, as well as for our community, and to the world. It gave us the opportunity to impact the world through this place. The gal who shared with us a little bit earlier, she and her husband, who are now serving over, who will be serving overseas and continue to serve overseas, they had the biggest wedding that I've ever seen in this building. They took over the whole building and all the outside. We were able to do that for them. And that's a small thing, but, it's a, but it's a, it was a joyful thing together. But I want to drop into Grace Community's building testimony. In 1989, every Friday for three years, leading men for three years joined together early on Friday mornings to pray as we felt desire for the church's future land and building. The pastors became aware of 16-plus acres, our land here, in that year. And even before seeing it, we knew in our spirit like, this is it. This is the place we're supposed to be. In 1990, our church began praying because when we talked to them about they said, well, just give us the money. Put down a down payment. I said, we don't have any money yet. We just know that this is the place we're going to have this church. And he says, you don't have any money? Why are you talking to me? It was a realtor, you know. So we began praying for $25,000 to start a building fund. We were just a small group of people, mostly very young not really very far along in our, in our uh, careers yet. But in 1990, a family sold a business, and they tithed on their business, and they gave us $50,000 for our, our, our fund. In 1991, after we had gotten that money, I went back to that, this, the realtor who had been doing, you know, had sold this place, and, the, and, the, and this land came off the, uh, came off the uh, it wasn't going to be sold, sold. It came off the market, that's what I was looking for. And then in 1991, I was prompted by the Spirit to contact. I found the person, and I checked, and, the, and there had been a sale that had just fallen through here, and the land was then available. In 1991, after prayer, um, we made an offer of $300,000 to, to the owners of this place. Now, that, understand that when we made that bid for $300,000, there had actually been a builder who had had his offer rejected of $350,000. We offered three hundred, dollars and they accepted our offer. We needed $90,000 in 1993 for our settlement on the land. Um, the closing was delayed three weeks because the owner needed a, a survey and taxes paid. The owner decided to pay all the taxes, $20,000, and at the closing, our realtor moved in generosity, contributed $1,000, after, and after writing our check, our bookkeeper, I said, how much money do we have in our account? And he says, we have 
1994, we had 150 people attend a prayer walk on this land. And it was a kind of a drought that was going on at that time. And, and, and while we walked, you know, we had families and kids and, you know, strollers didn't work, weren't doing too good. But we were walking around and around the land and so forth. And these two bald eagles circled overhead as we prayed. And thousands of ple- were added to their pledges. And someone suggested Isaiah 40, verse 31, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They walk and not faint. In 1995, we had 325 people gather on, on this land for our service, our Sunday service, bigger than this crowd on that day. And in a season of drought, a rainbow appeared over the land for at least 20 minutes. There was a rainbow that just, it was a little wisps of cloud and there was rainbows through it for 20 minutes, but the rest of the sky was, was blue. But it was like God was making a promise to us. I see you, and I'm going to provide for you. In 1996, November 24th, after 24 hours of prayer, county officials gathered on site for a perk test. A perk test is that you dig these holes, and you pour water in it, and it can't go through too fast, and it can't go through too slow. And that's how they know you can build on that safely. And so they had done other people who had, who had tried to build here before. They, they, put some perk, they did some perk tests, and they didn't get enough of a satisfactory results in order to, to build. So we prayed for 24 hours. And our, our builder said, let's, let's, do 12, let's do 12 holes, or the county said, let's do 12 holes so we can make sure we get at least four. We got 12. We got 12 out of 12 holes were, were, uh, were good. And they said, it looks like you put new girth here. 1997, um, we had been through a lot, of, a lot of community meetings where people were, not, were fighting us coming. They said, one of the reasons is there's no water here. He says, most of our wells. They said, we know this area. There's no water in this community. You know, we drill multiple wells, and we might get maybe one to five gallons per minute. And so we were estimating maybe we're going to need like 10, 10 gallons per minute for this church. So maybe we have to have multiple, you know, wells. And so in July, we had the county engineers came out while they were drilling it. I got a phone call. And the person said to me, you'll never, you'll never have to drill water for water again here. And I thought he said, because you're getting 15 gallons per minute. I said, we're getting 15 gallons a minute? He says, no, you're getting over 50 gallons a minute. And our place that we have our wells, I can't see it from here. <laughs> if you head towards you know, Bella Road, there's a little woodsy area there. There's a cross. That's where our well is. We put, someone put a cross there just as a memorial how God provided. In 1997, past community meetings, there was, they said there was no water. I mentioned that. Uh, and how did God supply for that, all these things? In 1990, I mentioned the $50,000 gift from a family. In 1992, we had our first building campaign, okay? That's 31 years ago. First building campaign. It was called Advancing the Dream Together. Our church members pledged for a three-year campaign, $400,000, and we were really young guys and gals with lots of kids. In 1995, it was our Time to Build campaign. We had 120 family pledged $600,000. 1997, a special donation of five acres was given uh, for $30,000. Someone had given that. Someone donated a house. Some people gave us like 
wedding rings, you know, from their parents or so forth. In 1998, for such a time as this campaign, we again did a three-year campaign. I don't have the numbers on that, but I believe it was over $600,000. In 2000, we began building. In the summer of 2001, three major donors said that they could not honor their pledges. These were large gifts these people were, supposed to, were going to give over those three years, and it was going to cause us to be $135,000 $135, short if we kept coming in the money the way it was supposed to come in. We would be $135,000 short. We prayed. The Sunday we shared that with the church, there was a visitor who came on that day. On that day when they, she, that person came, they came up to one of the pastors and said, I think I could help out some, and took out $1,500 bills and said, here, you can have this, you know, and I'll be back this week. And this person worked for a, an individual who needed to find a, 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 a place to give some money so they could get in a better tax bracket. And so she came with a $27,000 check from someone to help out. I have, to this day, I have no idea how we made up $135,000. I don't. I mean, I can piecemeal a few more stories to you, but they don't add up. It doesn't add up because God was providing and showing us that he's the one who, who was going to provide for this. In 2001, November, we moved into our church home. In, in December that same month, we were, we were thinking, you know, we're not ready to start paying for this yet. We're still taking money in. And, and they said, well, we haven't paid out all your bills yet, so you're not going to have to start paying right away. So in 2001, December, the bank officers were moved by God, reduced our loan interest by 1.5%. That doesn't happen. We didn't have to start paying until January 2002. I think, we finished, I think we finished that year with like not counting the, the building money that needed to be spent. We had $3,000 in our, in our church at that time. You know, and we had a $22,000 first check that was going to have to go out. You know, in addition to paying everyone when everybody kind of does their tithing in December and nobody wants to give in January. <laughs> but God, God took care of us. Who is your master? Who are you looking to? Who, who, who pays the bills? Who covers you in, in difficult times? Who do you serve? Because you can't serve God and materialism and possessions. You can't serve the econ- because the economy is, is uncertain. Who's your master? And what is your purpose? What is your life purpose? Why has God left us here? What drives your reason for getting up and being a part of life today. And thirdly, where's true life found? Again, he's speaking to these rich people and he's saying, he's, he's challenging them, you know, you're giving yourself to the wrong God. You're giving yourself to the wrong purposes. Your, your agenda is off. Your priority is wrong. And then as they realize they're to turn to a different God, a different priority, he says this in verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Some of us have, have been retire, you know, saving for our retirement. And you know, to be honest, it's scary and fun to watch 
you know, if you've, if you've been building that for your life, if you've, if you've got some of that. But it, it fluctuates. It can fluctuate like so much up in one day and so much down in the next day. And it's important that if you're young, you know, if you're gonna, that you should start investing and preparing you know, for your retirement years. It does. It makes a big difference. The problem isn't that you save for retirement years. That's not the problem. The problem is you're not thinking far enough out. You're not preparing far enough into the future. And I'm not preparing far enough into the future. Because what I should be investing in is not stopping in the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years. What I'm investing in is goes way beyond that. And he says to the rich person, he said, you know, if, you're gonna, if, you're, if you do what I'm asking you to and you, you know, do these good works, you know, and you're investing in being generous and so forth, you're storing up a treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future. You're laying up treasures in heaven. That's a good foundation to have. That's not a selfish foundation. God knows that we want and need to prepare for our eternal home. Not so that we can get there. We, 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 we go to heaven by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Your good works and my good works will not get us into heaven. We go to heaven because we have realized that we are bankrupt and we need a savior. And so we've put our hope in Jesus Christ as our savior. We've put our trust in him and he has purchased and secured a place for us in eternity in heaven. And we know it's true because he rose from the dead. We know it's true. We're not, this isn't a foolish investment because we see the reality of our, the one we're investing in because he has died. He was buried, but he rose from the dead. So we know that he's a safe investment, a wise investment. To the ones who are just hoarding and building up in this life, he says, you fool. You fool. You weren't thinking far enough in the future. You were thinking about making your life comfortable here. That's foolish. Living for a more distant inheritance, a more distant investment, that's, what, that's wisdom. And he says, storing up treasure in heaven is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Our standards of wisdom about money are not only radically different, but they're diametrically opposed to what God calls us to be and to do. And you might say, but you know, Greg, really, I'm, I'm content with what I'm doing. I'm, really? If you're living for this life, if you're living for this thing, are you really content? Or if you have the Spirit in God inside of you, is there a gnawing sense of, I know it's risky to, to trust God. I know it's risky to pledge money. It's, I know it's risky to step out there. But oh my gosh, in my soul, it says, yes, let's do it. Let's take the risk. Let's take the risk to live for God. Let's take the risk to invest in eternity. Let's not try to straddle two different kingdoms because he says you can't do it. You can't. You love one and hate the other, he said. You hold to one, you despise the other. You cannot. 
serve God in money. The Apostle John pled with, it, with us, you know, for 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17, it says, Do not love the world or, any, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Some would say in financial stewardship, in the growth, in your growth in financial stewardship, that it's closely going to parallel or reflect your spiritual life, your spiritual growth. If you live like we're talking about, you'll grow. You're going to grow in faith. You're going to grow in trust. You're going to grow in grace. You're going to grow in commitment. You're going to grow in provision. I'm so excited about what I see, you know, going on with the across our nation. I think there's there's good reason to hope that God maybe visiting us in these days and doing something work a work in our life in our lives but if it's just singing and if it's just an emotional experience that's not going to be enough for us there's got to be there's got to be a change at the core of our being and we're americans we're the rich he's warning don't you know be careful rich people because your heart is going to go back to where it wants to go which is to live for this life so might God visit each one of us personally in a way to say, this life has its, has its blessing, but this is not what the purpose of your life was about. This is not what he called you to. When he called you and said, follow me, he said, take up a cross because that's where I'm going. If anyone wants to follow me, they need to deny themselves. They need to take up a cross. And that's a, that's a work that the Holy Spirit I hope is doing in us, in our hearts. Because whether it's the trials of life or the persecutions that may come, the financial upheaval that may come, you'll be standing. You built your house in the right place. You won't build your house and that's going to wash away. You'll build it on the right place. And I love, I love that we, we can get a feel if we're really all in or not. Because Zacchaeus, like he was like excited about it. The guy who bought the field, he joyfully sold everything he had and went after, you know, buying that field, buying that treasure. Scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, not a reluctant giver. Because that's the work that the Holy Spirit can do in us. Shows us that his superior value that he is. That treasure is worth more than anything you've got, anything that I've got. There's another pearl of great price. It's just like it. It's worth it all. It's worth it. And even though life will be hard, life will be hard. In the world, you will have persecution. In the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, there will be cancer. In the world, there will be losses. But welling up within you 
It's the water flowing. And the Apostle Paul is saying it, it, it just, the difficulties of this life aren't even worthy to be compared to what we're going to be having, what's going to happen for us. God loves a cheerful giver, and I've found that a cheerful, giving cheerfully means I love God, and the more I give, the more cheerful I get about it. I'm exchanging, I'm exchanging one kingdom for the other. As it relates to this building, you know, we have a lot of heroes behind the scenes who've given sacrificially for many, many years. Many, many give thousands, thousands and thousands of dollars. Lots of cars they could have had. A lot more dates. A lot more child care. Some better clothes. Better technology. More vacations. More investments. Better furniture. Could have had a lot of stuff, but there's people who've been, for, for years and years... For your sake and for the glory of your, of your Savior have been year by year making decisions that cost them. I took you all the way up to that building, 2001, two, you know, 2001, told you 2002, they got the, got the interest rate drop. But I want to show you, we've never missed a payment in 30 years. So in 2002, we had a three-year campaign. People gave for three years. 2005, we went to a one-year campaign. 2006, we did another one-year campaign. 2007, we did another one-year campaign. 2008, we did a three-year campaign. I think it was just supposed to be a one. 2009, a one-year campaign. 10, a one-year campaign. 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. Campaign. Every one of those years. 12 months at a time, week by week going by, writing checks, taking automatic deposits out of their account, trying to figure out how to make ends meet those weeks and months, making sacrifices. 2015, yearly building campaign. 2016, 2017, some of you were, you know, just having kids along those years. Some of you needed braces for your kids. Some of you needed car insurance. Some of you needed to fix the cars that your kids broke during those years, you know. Some of you had colleges you had to figure out how you're going to pay for. 2016, 2017, 2023. Will you join us? Will you help us? <laughs> Some of the people have been carrying this for a long, long time. Some of those people are gone to be with the Lord who started with us. Some people have gone off to other churches. Some people, their situations change. But this is for His glory. This is His purposes here. We got meetings here. I mean, you can't come to this building and not see the glory of God. You can't come to this building and not see God's people and God's purposes, God's mission being served. Every day of the week. Even the days off that we used to keep it closed, we don't keep it closed anymore. Because we have too many people that want to serve. 
I just got to, we just got to call this, this last week, there's a, two teams, two, two mission teams coming with Crusade that Eric has asked us, he said, hey, the, the location these two teams were supposed to stay in, it fell through, can they stay in our church, you know, because they want to do mission work in, in the city. You know, this, this building's getting used. We have nations that are, that are coming to this, this, this place. We've got generations coming to this place. We've got people who are suffering, who are, who are working through grief coming to this place. You know, there, there's Bible studies. There's marriages being impacted through this place. There's, there's mis- ministry going on all the time. And you're part of it. In your service, in your prayers, in your giving. Will you help us join, join with us? As God leads you, as God leads you, could you help us finish this? I, I, I've, I've joked about this, but some of you know, you know, uh, when, I, when I hear the Christmas story, I hear about Simeon and, um, and Simeon's, you know, he's promised he's going to see the Messiah. And he says, and he finally sees the baby Jesus when he's being dedicated. And he, says, and he starts singing this song, you know, saying this declaration of, now, Lord, take your servant can depart in peace. That's what I think about with this day, these end dates. I'm like, I'm ready to go to heaven. I really am. I'm ready. But I'd like to see the end of this. I'd like to see the end of this. And then I'm going to, you can, that's Sunday. Whenever we tear up the deed or whatever we have to do when we're done and we just celebrate together, I'm going I'm to say to the Lord, okay, Lord, I'll stay as long as you want, but let your servant now depart in peace. Some of you can help us get that done. And it's a sacrifice. I understand. I've had seven kids. <laughs> I, I, I have a decent salary, but I'm a, it's a pastor's salary. <laughs> and God has never used, like, big... There's been not been on many, many, many people who are, you know, in our mind are rich. But God would say, you know what? Comparatively, in this world congregation we're rich we really are rich god loves a cheerful giver first timothy chapter 6 verse 7 says but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world but if we have food and covering with these we'll be content but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into the many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, and that's the issue here, the love of money. Not money. Money's, money can be useful. It can be good. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So you've heard us during announcements, you know, above and beyond campaign next week. Can we flip that? We've got a yearly mortgage, 217. As of February, 469,000 left. We're asking God, we're asking you, we're asking you to pray. That's what really we're really asking you to do. Just, we're not asking you to give if God doesn't direct that. We're just asking you to prepare your heart and then ask God. Is this something that I'm supposed to be a part of? Pray and seek God this week. Pray and fasting, remember that on Tuesday. If you're not hearing from God, I'll put in a plug for fasting. 
fasting will make you more desperate for God and you more sensitive in your spirit. You can begin your online pledge on March on Wednesday. Thank you for your love and devotion. Thank you for your partnership. For the heroes that have been with us through many, many, many decades, thank you. Thank you for that. Your reward is waiting for you. Come next week with your pledge if you've not made it yet and a first fruit, fruit offering. Our big idea as we close, worship team, you can come. Exchange living for riches to living for Christ to experience true life. This is a dangerous roller coaster, <laughs> living for God. It, it feels like, sometimes it can feel like you're at wit's end. Sometimes you feel like, I don't know how, this, I don't know how God's going to get me through this. I don't know how God's going to provide, or I don't know, you know, what's happening here. But oh, what an amazing, what an amazing ride it is. And it's filled with such deep satisfaction and joy and peace. And to watch and see the hand of God on people's lives over the years and through our ministry and to other countries, into other cities, other places, it's worth it. It's worth it. If you want abundant life, you need to make an exchange. You can't, you can't have both. You can't have both kingdoms. You've got you to make a decision. And you probably have to decide more than once because that, the lure of this life is, is, pretty, is pretty hard. Pretty hard. And the people around you are going to be sympathizing and directing you to love the world more. Don't do it. Put your hope in what's true and what's solid and what's going to bring the greatest glory to our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, your ways are not our ways. Your, your path is definitely not what we would have chosen. But you are good and faithful. And you will, you will be faithful in provision for this church. You will, we will finish this unless you come back first, which would be... That would be even better, Lord. But help us as your people to not think that it blesses you or honors you if we just call you Savior but don't call you Master. Help us to see that that evokes quite a jealousy in your heart. But help us know that you are the superior, superior choice. And so we look to you and we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.